This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder, president, and executive director of the Lynn Cohen Foundation and The Seam, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing researchers, doctors, scientists, female founders, entrepreneurs to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. I'm so excited to get into it with you today, Eric Katz, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed. And I just think that everything you're doing and everything your company's doing is next level, next frontier, next generation, and really like breaking the barriers between science and what we can do for ourselves. And I think that the biggest thing that people talk about now, if you're interested in health and you're really interested in taking control of your health, is gut health and what microbiomes are doing in our bodies and probiotics and prebiotics. And it's kind of all I talk about and all I want to talk about. So I just am so excited. This is like my favorite hour of my day. I'm really into it. So Just tell us, introduce yourself, but give me like the why. Like, why are you here? Why are you doing this? How did you get here? What was the motivation? Ultimately, the why is to impact health. The how you get here um, is, I think, you know, as you know, you interview so many interesting people. It's such a confluence of things and like almost everything else in life. It's so many things are about timing. And so, you know, for me, my, we were just talking before we got on, you know, I lost my mom. Uh, when I was in high school, it was pancreatic cancer. And my very, very, very condensed why really came from very similar to what you said, which was like, you know, there's this very interesting gap between science and like how we live and how we make choices for our lives and how we like understand our bodies well enough to make informed choices. And I, since my mom was enrolling in clinical trials, since I started reading scientific papers in high school, I have been perpetually fascinated with the way that we rationalize and the way that we make decisions for our our bodies. And of course, when you get older, you're also making those decisions. You have children for your children and for others in your life. And I think that, you know, the microbiome, I I spent most of my career in like media and tech and being kind of like early on in tech and and certainly at the frontier of a number of areas in, in technology. And that just that kind of mindset of, of what's next and what's kind of like creating the future. I had always felt that the way that health and kind of the wellness world was starting to become so critical and important because people were paying more attention was diverting from the science in like really meaningful ways. And, and certainly not to say that science knows everything, but it certainly started to take on a whole language and way of thinking and making decisions that were, you know, as good as, you, you know, your last decision about what to eat was as good as like the last Instagram ad, you know, it was, and, and I started to feel that the voices that were getting the loudest and the brands that were getting the loudest were leaning away from science. And at the same time, of course, as I said, most of the best things in the world happen at moments of convergence. I was also um, really clear that I wanted to leave tech and I wanted to go back to what I love, which is science, biology, health. And I had never really worked in that. I had just been kind of lifelong nerd, so to speak, the person that people text when they have a question and really uh, no, no, no more than that from a professional perspective. Like I had 
a miscarriage and got pregnant very shortly after that. So I was kind of in that moment of my life of really deeply understanding reproductive health. And, you know, once the world knows you're pregnant, you know, the algorithm starts serving up everything to you, <laughs> to you and you certainly get no shortage of unsolicited advice. And I was really blown away, I think, by the lack of science and the lack of actually just general understanding of our biology, of, of what even these processes within our bodies to even have a child to have a successful birth, what even a miscarriage means, what it is. And it really reignited for me that moment of life, remembering how much I'm both fascinated by that, but also felt that I was very dissatisfied with the level of knowledge (laughs) that most people were giving me. And also felt that there had started to kind of see the rumblings of, um, because I pay attention to this world, the microbiome. I met my co-founder at the time, he was actually in, in another company, but was looking to kind of actually translate this really interesting science he had been working on into consumer. And we really bonded, I think, over that gap that we saw between science and kind of what was being commercialized and, and the way people were making decisions. But we also converged over this kind of frontier, this new frontier of the microbiome. And really the belief, and of course, because I was getting, you know, I was pregnant at the time, really this understanding. And even even though we've come a long way since we start, first started seed from a scientific perspective, and we understand so much more now, even at that time, we understood that the early windows of life were this like critical blueprinting period for the microbiome that could impact a child's health trajectory for their entire lifespan. And that to me, and that's where our name comes from, that's where seeding, seed, comes from the term seeding, which is the biological process, which you are, you build, you get, you receive your first foundational microbes. And those first microbes and the way that they're nurtured and interact with nutrition and the environment actually really set the blueprint for, again, for health, for your GI tract, for GI system, your immune system. And then of course, many other aspects of your development through about four or five years old when you have kind of what they call a steady state microbiome. And that realization, and to me, Unlike genomics, which I was fascinated by, I was like, well, you can't go to Whole Foods and buy anything for your genome. You can't change that, right? Like, I mean, you know, obviously CRISPR wasn't available at the time. And even certainly today, it's not like anyone's going to, you know, get Botox and CRISPR or something in their genome. But the microbiome was so fascinating, not just because it was like 50% of the cells in our body or the amount of genes it was expressing or like all the roles that like we were starting to understand that it plays such a critical and key piece for, but it was also the fact that it was a lever of health that we can do something about. And that to me, there's very few moments like in history where of of science and biology, where you discover something about a body this big and this impactful and this with such broad implications. You obviously, you know, from cancer, like microbiome and cancer, not like whether it's chemotherapy, whether it's going to be, I mean, so many ways that the microbiome and cancer and oncology are of course, looking at one another and saying, like, how is this relationship going to mm-hmm. inform new solutions and diagnostics? But in this world, it was like, oh my God, like you, you can do something about this no matter what stage of life. Some stages you can be more impactful. And, and, and that was like, to me, like an aha moment of like, wow, a frontier field of science that I could spend the next, honestly, decades of my life in that would just continue to reveal itself in terms of new discoveries but that actually from the way we could live every day, going back to what was my why, it could actually inform the choices we make every day. And that to me was like, I could build something around that, but also for my own self from a fulfillment, 
creating meaning, <laughs> what do I want to wake up and do every day perspective? That to me was kind of the like, where else would I, would I want to be? That's amazing. I mean, so much of what you said, I want to dissect, but starting with this incredible idea that, you know, there's the science behind the microbiome and that, like you said, to me, the most incredible part about it is that we can control that. Like we have control over it and so much we don't. I mean, you're born with genes. You can be born with genetic mutations. We expose ourselves to so many things in our environment and, you know, sure you can control what you eat. You can control your output. But when you break it down to that like real level of your microbiome and that we can control it, and not only that, it has such a significant impact on our health. And it says so much about us, about you know everything that's going on in your body. To me, that's, that's the most fascinating part. Like it's easy <laughs> and it's controllable and it's so impactful. And those three things I think are just like the trifecta of, of health and, and taking control of your health and wellness, which is my creed, my motto, what I preach, you know, whenever I can. So how did you make it easy? And did you think about making it easy from the beginning? Cause it's seed is easy. I mean, it makes sense. It's not like a crazy change to your life. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, easy is always a funny word in health, right? Like it's, it's a, it can um, mean bad things. And I mean, it in the best way possible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Most people who work in health will tell you the biggest problems in human health are humans, right? Which is we are not compliant actually with the things that we need to do every day. And, you know, seed, it's funny, you say seed, like kind of very synonymously with our product, which of course, like, this is where you'll learn I'm, I'm like the worst salesperson in the world because the microbiome is so impacted you know, by such critical things and in in, that we can actually change every day, regardless of whether you buy, you know, our, our adult, you know, symbiotic, which we can, of course, I'll talk about. And yes, it is very easy <laughs> to take every day, but I would be doing a, you know, a, a disservice. I think what we really deeply care about, which is the translation of this world of science of the microbiome into mm-hmm. a way of living and a lens for living. And, you know, so much of the way that you impact the microbiome is through diet, the way of exercise, the way that you sleep, your, your microbiome has its own circadian rhythm, as an example. Whether or not you choose to indiscriminately take antibiotics when you don't need them, um, whether or not you take acetaminophen and you take Advil and Tylenol, you know, preventively or overuse these things or Tums or, you know, every, what, what you learn about the microbiome is that everything you do is an input, it's a stressor, right? And you really have the, opportunity to think about whether or not, and obviously sometimes you need, of course, antibiotics will save your life in the appropriate moments, right? Like it's, I'm certainly not advocating against antibiotics, but just to use antibiotics as an example, there are 211 million prescriptions of antibiotics written in the United States every year. Over half of those prescriptions are for things of non-bacterial origin. We are facing an antibiotic, and you may know this from your foundation work too, and you certainly like um, Milken and Gates, everyone, if you ask Bill Gates, the biggest problem is actually antibiotic resistance. And so we use and we overuse, not dissimilar so to natural resources, right? Like we don't know how to not overconsume mm-hmm. things. And the impact of that on our microbiome is extraordinary because indiscriminate use of antibiotics is, and particularly when you're not taking something alongside and then doing things to kind of repair can be incredibly detrimental, even to a relatively healthy person sometimes. Um, although a relatively healthy person is going to bounce back 
faster. Like their microbiome is typically more resilient and more diverse. But unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, majority of people in our society today are not working from the healthiest, most diverse microbiomes and from the most the healthiest place, right? 15% of the United States has is diagnosed with IBS, let alone the percentage that are probably undiagnosed or are somewhere on, you know, some spectrum of just like a GI condition alone. And so, you know, I think that for us, it's not just what you can do, which is things like diet and taking care of yourself in areas that are probably, as, as I said, kind of fairly obvious, like exercise and sleep and all, a number of the things that um, benefit your human cells as well as your microbiome. But there are other areas like antibiotics and the understanding that all medication, all medicines have some impact on the microbiome. The understanding that uh, time in urban environments and lack of exposure, for example, to nature um, and living in fairly like sterile environments. We published a paper, uh, two papers in the last year, one on dishwashing rinse aid in, in commercial venues like restaurants and hospitals and you know, anywhere where they're using those like high heat dishwashers and also on laundry detergent. And, you know, after 1950, we introduced about 300,000 chemicals and compounds into our food and cleaning supplies and everything into the built, in the built environment that we live in that have all tremendously impacted our barriers and our microbiomes of different parts of our so body. That is so scary when you break it down in those numbers. <laughs> It's so overwhelming. Some of the things to think about with the microbiome when you say easy is like some of it is just right. what not to do. It's it's being mindful of like what are the surfactants and the cleansers and the things that we are exposing our bodies to because they don't just impact our human parts. They actually impact our microbiome, which then has inflammatory, you know, responses, which, you know, brings up and, and, and obviously has a cascade of biological outcomes that are not good for us. And we're seeing that reflected in the rise of eczema, the rise of autoimmune conditions, the rise of all of these things that are not communicable diseases. And so just to get to the last piece, which you know you brought you brought up, which is these are things that we kind of already are kind of conscious of. I think the microbiome and science is making us more aware of how really, really important these things are. But then there's the lever that I work in, which is, well, how can you actually use microbes? and certain compounds that interact with the microbiome to further nurture this, these ecosystems so that they can function healthily. And that's where probiotics and other compounds like prebiotics come in. And so for us, we work in the world of how can you take specific microbes and specific dosages and using specific delivery technologies because, you know, delivering live bacteria to where you want it to go in the body, whether it's on the skin or all the way through the GI system to the colon, it's hard. And how do you then measure those in clinical research to have very specific outcomes in the human body. And that's really like our, our, our work, which is how do you use microbes and now harness this world to have a positive impact um, in people's health. And that's really what I spend all of our time <laughs> doing in addition to, of course, so much of the educational piece and talking about things like diet, because there is no, it's not about a pill, right? I deeply believe in, in our adult uh, DSO-1, which is I think what you were referring to, which is our daily symbiotic. And I think it's probably one of the best probiotics that exists in the world today. But at the same time, it's very important that people also understand some of the other levers um, because those are very, very important. Yeah. There's no easy fix. There's no like magic pill, yes. of course. 
you know, we're one whole human being and we have to look at everything that we, we do, all of our input, all of our output. Absolutely. But it's so fascinating to me how one of the things you said about microbiome is it's a lens to our bodies. And to me, that's, that's like the heart and soul of it is it's not just what we can do for it. It's what it can do for us and teach us. So, you know, I've had lots of experiences all my kids have some level of IBS and have had crazy gastro issues. My oldest son ended up in the hospital when he got to college because he had a sinus infection and took antibiotics and it just ravaged his, you know, his biome. And then he ended up picking up an actual other bacterial infection and it was just awful. And one of the things that it came down to was, okay, you have sinus issues, you have some level of IBS which I'm sure he's really happy about me talking about, but how do you deal with it? Like, how do you change your lifestyle in order to deal with it? Which of course is easier for me than a, you know, teenage boy, but there's so much that, you know, you were inspired to go down this road. Really, it sounds like when you were pregnant, there's so much you learn from what your body goes through, what your body's capable of. If you have children, like watching them and understanding what their bodies are doing, what they're capable of, what they're not capable of. And it's such a great way to educate yourself if you're willing to really dive in. And that's when I started to get really interested because I was like, well, how do I help my children if, you know, it's not, I don't want a quick fix. I don't want, they can't just take antibiotics all the time. I want to understand what their body is doing. But like you said, what their body's telling them. So that idea of the lens, like, will you just talk a little bit more about it? Because I find it, to me, it's the heart and soul. I, I thank you. Thank you for picking up on that. It, it really is the way like I feel every day. And it's the way I have, I felt from the first time, like I, it, it, very similar, if you know the yeah. matrix, right? I feel like when you start to understand the microbiome, it's like you see the matrix. <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> and what, yeah. what happens is, is that you can never unsee it. And very similar to like minority report, right? Like where the matrix, it's like, you and also you'll never, you never take the red pill, right? Or the, you, you know, whether to take the red or blue pill, because you're like, I see the matrix and I understand which one's right for me. <laughs> and that's why so much of it is actually a little bit of education because for example, like, I mean, just speaking about college students, right? We published a paper also about alcohol in the gut and the impacts of alcohol. And in this case, it was literally one shot of gray goose vodka. And we were able to demonstrate the impact on the gut barrier just from one shot of vodka and, you know, I think that we really underestimate what we do to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and it's absolutely not a lens of shame. It really should be like a lens yeah. of empowerment because I really do believe that when you see the matrix, it's like every time you open a menu, every time you're in the grocery store, every time you're deciding, should I have that last drink? Should I, oh, I, I'm, I feel tired. Do I really want to go to the gym right now? Like, you know, it's very similar to many other aspects of health that are hard to get people to do. But in some ways, the microbiome is also interesting because it's very similar to, you may have felt this when you're pregnant. When, you, when you're pregnant, it's easier, a little bit easier to be compliant because you're like, well, I'm doing it so that this child is healthy. Very similarly, if you think about that, we have about three to five pounds of like, everyone can actually, I always say for guys, the microbiome is the closest I could ever help them like understand being yeah. pregnant. Because I'm just like, you need to take care of 38 trillion cells in your body so that they can do the things that your body needs. Because biologically, there's almost no function in the body 
that microbes are not involved in. And there's almost no organ system that the gut is not connected to. Like you take the the gut and the liver, there's a gut-liver axis that has everything to do with the way like cholesterol is either recirculated or not up into the body. The gut-skin axis, like for people who care more about the external and the the physical, the way that inflammation expresses itself on the surface of the skin is correlated and connected to the axis that the gut and the skin are, there's crosstalk, the gut and the brain, right? (laughs) The bi-directional highway that connects the gut and the brain um, by the vagus nerve and not just that through metabolites that circulate through the blood, which also provide signaling that are produced by the gut. They have communications, but everything from whether or not you feel satiated and whether or not you have a, a good satiety signal is everything related to the gut and the brain all the way to some of the most fascinating and newer understandings of correlating this with like whether or not you're susceptible to Alzheimer's, to depression, to anxiety, that field, the gut brain, for example, is exploding, you know, in in its own ways. And so it's very similar to like, when I say lens, it is a way to see the world. It's a way to understand and and for seed, especially because we do a lot of environmental work. If you really want to get a little bit, we're in LA, so I can get, (laughs) I can zoom out a little and get a little more spiritual. When you really zoom out, microbes and, you know, this invisible, you know, microbes weigh, they're invisible. You can't see them with the human eye, yet they weigh more more than all matter on earth, right? So if you really think about there, 50% of the cells in your body are not human. And so when you really start to zoom out, you start to understand that like microbes are such a critical part for all the ways they're critical in our bodies. They're critical in in the soil. They're critical in the way we grow food. They're critical in every animal. They're critical. I mean, from an ecological perspective to just like really understand our connectivity to like everything, you know, and you don't have to do ayahuasca <laughs> to like appreciate this. Like you really just have to kind of understand like where the origin and, and why they evolved to have such critical roles in our bodies, but also in all living systems. And when you start to understand that, that kind of connectivity is kind of, as why I said, I call it the matrix. You do start to feel a kind of stewardship. It's amazing. It's so overwhelmingly like awesome. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it's it's such a huge piece of the puzzle that I feel like for so long, so many people, whether they were scientists or just like health, you know, wellness is a relatively new word, but we were trying to get at and understand like what is a really amazing piece of ourselves and our environment around us that can, you know, give us so much information if we're willing to look and we're willing to dig in and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, gut health is, it's like the heart and soul of us. It indicates so much about if you are quote unquote healthy and also you, you know, you can deal with it. Like you can change it. You can manipulate it, which is very exciting and very, to me, that's just such an incredible breakthrough that we can do and do it for our children. So it's not something that you have to start when you're old. You know, one of the great things I've found about being in my latter half of my 40s and pushing 50 is that like I won't have that other drink because I feel horrible. (laughs) You know, when you're 18, you don't care. You bounce back, you sleep till two o'clock the next day, whatever. 
when you get older, like you can't do those things anymore without really feeling the impact. Most of us, especially I think the healthier you are, the more you feel when you do things that aren't quote unquote good for you. You know, when you drink or you eat a meal that's really not the best, but you splurge or you know, it's a special occasion, but you feel it intensely. And to me, it's like, oh, it's such a great thing because I have this sign, this signal that I can't ignore and I don't want a migraine. So I'm not going to drink, you know, that much, maybe whatever I can do. But you don't have that when you're younger. Like you just, you know, you push through and, you know, your parts of your brain aren't fully developed there where you're going to like really listen to it. But the idea that you can, you can control your gut health in a way starting as you said, you know, in utero is pretty amazing and life-changing for a lot of people. So how do you get to that audience? You know, how do you show how important it is, I guess, so that people can start young when it comes to their gut health and taking control of it? It's overwhelming in the sense that you can't, we, especially as a company, can't do it all. That was partially why we developed the first product that we developed was our answer to saying, if we had to say there's one thing that you could do for your gut every single day, what would it be for as broadly applicable communities of of people as possible? That was where DSO-1 came from. And one of the most biggest misnomers, right, are, are some of the questions we get, which is shouldn't probiotics be personalized, which is extraordinary marketing. And I wish it worked <laughs> that way. <laughs> but what we, what we, and, and you know what, maybe, maybe in the future there, there maybe I wouldn't say personalized, but I would say customized to very specific conditions, like maybe, but I think where, where we anchor into is we're, we're very nerdy from a science perspective, which is that we look at how do you take specific strains of microbes in specific dosages in a heterogeneous population and get to statistical significance in a specific endpoint. I'll give you like an example for something like increase of motility, right? Of like stool. (laughs) That is a great example where for us, we have the science to articulate that um, you can increase motility using very specific strains of microbes that increase the neurotransmitters, mostly serotonin that responsible for um, paracelsus, you know, and that move that increase motility. And that can be measured in people regardless of what their microbiome started as, because that's a very specific mechanism of action that that microbe is able to induce regardless of what your starting microbiome is. And what most people don't understand is that they think about probiotics as if you're like missing something and then you're putting Mm. something back. And most probiotics are actually transient unless you're really, really, really deficient and you've had multiple courses of antibiotics or you really have very low diversity. For the most part, in generally healthy people, probiotics are transient and they wash out of your system within a few weeks. The way that you get the benefits is by continuous daily intake because they're moving through your system. They're signaling to other human cells. They're signaling to other microbes. They're doing their job as they kind of move through your GI system, primarily in the colon. And so it's a little bit of a misnomer about the kind of like take it and put it back idea, like the colonization idea. Um, which again, in, in certain instances is true, depending on where the starting microbiome is, but for the most part, they're transient. And you kind of can see it wash out in stool, you know, over a period of weeks. And so for us, like that really, that what our, DSO-1 was our answer to, to this question, which is like, what could we develop? Um, and, you know, look, it's it's now, I think, the number one 
selling probiotic in the United States at this point, and you know, probably one of the the most um, certainly most studied and and has some of the greatest clinical efficacy that that we've seen in the field. Some of our next products, and we have one uh, for pediatrics, mm-hmm. similar idea. For me, it was like I couldn't find one. There, everybody was asking us once DSO one came out came out to to make something for their children because it's very hard to understand that landscape for kids because it's you it's kind of just like a sea of gummies and cane sugar yeah <laughs> pectin yeah. and like some stuff that we you know we're we were like I think there's an opportunity to do something more impactful here especially with one in three children in experiencing intermittent constipation in the United States um, and that was the endpoint that we went for that was published in pediatric research. And that was our, that's our nine, nine strain um, symbiotic that we also have for kids. So those were kind of some of our answers, which are how, how to actually develop products that could be broadly applicable to as many people as possible that can be measured in a way that where they can impact and have very specific outcomes that we believe increase and improve gut health, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity that you could take every day alongside some of the other things I mentioned, but for knowing that not everybody's going to do all of that every single day and be perfectly compliant. Like your drinking example is perfect, which is sometimes people do have that other drink, but what we hear anecdotally from people is, oh my God, now ever since I started taking DSO-1, when I, when I drink, I don't feel the same way yeah. that I used to feel when I had a couple of drinks. And so, so you start to understand that the reinforcement of the gut barrier the uh, support of the functions that these microbes can can have specific strains of probiotics can have in the gut can also be meaningful in supporting the lifestyle yeah. that you want to have, like <laughs> a drink every once in a while. It's amazing, and I love the pediatric portion of your of what you've done. I think it's so important for so many reasons. One, like you said, it's to give kids who are you know there's such a high rate of children and who have you know who you know through their pooping that they have you know let's call it issues. But also it's, it's setting an example and it's setting a way of life really young. But it goes back to, to me, it's telling young people that they, they have a lens into their body. It doesn't have to be a huge mystery of what happens. And they can take control of it by looking at that lens and enjoying it and understanding it and tweaking. You know, one of the things that I feel really passionately about is that as women in particular, we go through so many different stages, you know, and what your normal is, what your healthy is changes as you go through different stages, you know, pre-puberty and then puberty, and then this sort of second puberty around 18 to 20 years old. Then in your twenties, there's different things happening, especially if you're having children pre and postpartum, you know, what it looks like in your thirties. And then when you're premenopausal and then menopause, I mean, our bodies are changing and that sort of where you want to have that balance that, you know, where you feel balanced and our bodies feel right or as good as they can, it's constantly changing, which requires being in touch with your body, being in touch with yourself, looking in the mirror, you know, inside and out and saying, what's right for me now? And this idea that, you know, your microbiome is such a lens into that and teaching that young, I mean, to me, that's like, you know, it's like a rainbow with like shooting stars out of it, you know? Exactly. I know it's fun. I I get a lot of messages from people who say they read the book with their kids all the time. And then their kids are always like asking about their microbiome or asking about microbes or they're like, oh, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat that for my microbes. I'm going to do this for my micro, you know, I'm going to play in the dirt for my microbes. And it's a, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, I mean, look, we're kids of the antibiotics generation. And I I think one of the, the most profound things for me is like, you can see how, in just one generation, 
science can fundamentally change the way we parent, right? And the way that we raise children and the way we think about our, our bodies. And it's, and it's powerful. So if you imagine when it's yielded for good, I mean, the way like you, you look at how it's yielded for, you know, bad, like, right, like the, the misunderstanding of fat. We also grew up with a fundamental misunderstanding of fat mm-hmm. and cholesterol, as an example. That was poorly yeah. branded, really bad science communication, lobbying organization, you know, whatever. You can, you can go back to the history to, to know like how some of these compounds and areas of our lifestyle have been so perversely represented to us in ways that were not serving us. But this is an example of actually an opportunity to take like that antibiotics mindset of like antibiotics are bubblegum, <laughs> like to literally like amoxicillin was made to taste, yeah. taste like that, right? all the way to in one generation allowing science to say, hey, whoa, 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 like antibiotics will save your life in the right moment, but also your kids don't need, like you should let's not go overboard because actually it could have really big implications later. Um, and so I think, uh, I think it's kind of, to me, that's like the lens shift that's beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I think it's really true. It's so honest and true. I just want to end with, you know, we obviously have a shared history where we both lost our moms really young to cancer. And clearly for me, it's, you know, really dictated my whole life in terms of my career and what I believe in and what I put out there. It's, it's been a way for me to make decisions and, you know, keep her, her legacy alive in a really impactful, positive way has just been an undercurrent in my life, sometimes quite consciously and sometimes not. And it's one of those things that we're, you know, we're part of that, the crappy club of, you know, girls that grew up without a mom during some pretty important years. You know, would you say that that losing your mom, obviously it, you said earlier about how it really pushed you, you know, in some ways down this road, but do you still feel her all these years later? And and what you do or in some of the decisions you make? Yeah, I mean, I, in, in, like you said, I think sometimes there's just very overt ways that these losses like show up. Sometimes I think there's just really very subtle ways that maybe you look back on <laughs> a year ago, a year later, and you're like, oh yeah, certainly, and maybe you feel this too. I think that like significant loss early in life grants you a kind of, maybe a different kind of matrix to see, which is everything goes through this lens for me of, would we talk about this at your funeral? (laughs) Meaning if it's not important enough to get into the eulogy and to be talked about and to be meaningful later, it's probably not a big deal. I use it as a lens to say like, what, what are the conversations and things that maybe we all sometimes just like kind of care about. And, and this could be within building a company. It could be within living life. It could certainly be within parenting and deciding what hill you want to die on that day with your child or with your partner. But I do believe that it, it gave me, I think a, a really beautiful gift of perspective that I think actually creates a quality of living and a quality of what I seek out in life that is a, a beautiful gift. I would say that when you're younger and not many people are also looking for those things or have the same perspective, it can be lonely and you, you kind of feel like you're in that club alone sometimes, but at the same time, I'm very grateful for it. And I think that it, it sometimes feels a bit like a, um, 
kind of like a, a guiding, a, a light. I always think of, if you, you know what an angler fish is, they have that little mm-hmm. antenna, right? It's a little light. And actually, not to make this all about microbes, that light lights up because yeah. of microbes. But angler fish have those, you know, they live in a deep, deep ocean. And there's just this beautiful little light that's like attached to their head. And I sometimes feel like that just kind of like exists, you know, for, for me, kind of like sw- swimming through life, that there's just this always like in your peripheral vision, even if it's like metaphorical, like everything you do, it's like really there. Yeah. It's like one of those things you would never wish on someone. But if you go through that kind of trauma when you're young, it just absolutely, it changes your perspective on life and so many of the decisions that you make. And I agree with you. It's sort of like a North Star where you're not always conscious of it, but there's like a direction you're being pointed in. And you know, without being too cheesy, it definitely like, I feel those, those moments and those like choices and decisions. I feel it in my gut. (laughs) That is something I don't know if I would have had without, you know, such Mm -hmm. a loss. And I think that to me, it's taught me most impactfully how to really listen and hear and listen to myself, which has gotten easier as I've gotten older. And that, a lot of what you just inherently got from your mother is deep in there. If you give yourself the the space to tap into it, it really does change the way you live, I think, in a much more positive way, or it has the ability to do that. There's an accountability to health that like, and particularly when you become a parent, that like, I think we take, I don't want to say take for granted, but I don't know if if everybody shares that perspective, if you haven't seen what health doesn't look like. And I think that that to me is like my, the images of my mom changing yeah. my mom's diapers when we were in high school. Like that to me is like, I need to take yeah. care of this. Like I'm going to not have that extra drink. I'm going to go to bed early. I want this to be intact yeah. for my children. I want this to be intact for like, and, and healthy and functioning for, for the way I want to contribute to the world. I, I just think maybe I didn't make that point well enough, but it's beyond just like making good choices every day and eating vegetables. I mean, things happen, right? That are completely out of control, but knowing that you took control of all that you could and all that you can, to me, that makes the impact. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. I love everything about what we talked about. And I think it gives a lot of people perspective into a part of science that is so important, impactful, and relatable, and really meaningful to all of our bodies. So, you know, dig into it. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. Thank you for what you do. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for what you do. So there's a beautiful quote that says, science isn't finished until it's communicated.